So last week, we finished up a marathon sermon series where for months and months and months we walked through like the whole Bible. So trying to figure out what's next. And I think what we'll do today is just pray for the calves and the Indians. So everybody on your knees. Here's what I want to do. I want to take the next few weeks, and there's this passage in the Bible that, that um, if taken seriously, should bring a fair amount of conviction on any given person. Um, and Let me read it to you, and then we'll ask, is this true of my life? So here's the concept. 1 Peter 2. But... Peter has described like the way everybody outside of Jesus and just typical worldliness, he's describing that kind of lifestyle. And then he says this, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, and now you are God's people. Once you had received no mercy, and now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as, and here's the phrase, as temporary residents and foreigners, or aliens, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So that phrase there, foreigners, temporary residents, aliens, in other words, you're supposed to live in such a way that people you kind of realize, you know, I'm not in Kansas anymore. I'm not, something's different here. There's a contrast. So I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, of feeling like a, an outsider or a foreigner or, or doesn't quite belong. I remember for me, and I've told this story before because I only have like three stories, and only two, or, two of those are good stories. Um, when I went to college, I went to college at Kentucky Christian College, very little teeny college. Uh, there in, in Grayson, Kentucky, and I had gone to Kentucky first time really away from home. And, and I got there, and I went to Subway Restaurant, and, um, and I ordered a, like a Subway Club, please. And the lady looked at me and said, what or what? <laughs> and, and I stared back, realizing that she had asked me a question of some sort. <clears throat> And then she grabbed a piece of white bread and a piece of wheat bread. And she said, what or what? That's when I realized that I was a Yankee residing in a place that had yet to accept the surrender of General Lee. <clears throat> so Peter uses this analogy of a, a foreigner, an outsider, an alien, living in a strange place. 
Jesus said it a different way. He would say, not so with you. So he would describe the way a typical person may live, decisions they would make relationally or financially or whatever, mercy, forgiveness, kinds of things. And then he would say, not so with you. You live differently. So what I want to ask with this series over the next few weeks Does the way you live look different? Are you living a questionable life? Or are you just blending in with the fray around you? So seeing as how this is Mother's Day, we're going to start the discussion. We'll do a different topic each week. And today we're going to talk about family. Are, are, are you a part of a questionable family? Is it different? And a lot of people, yeah, my family's way different. But I mean... Could people look at your life and say, wow, they live differently, and that's something I would want to emulate, because you're following Jesus unlike the average person. And what I hope, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) what I hope over the next few weeks is that this can get kind of awkward, meaning we're going to talk about just some, some some very practical things and hopefully some of it hits home and it's just kind of awkward because if we're not having these awkward moments with Jesus where he calls us out on some things and you realize I'm not quite right there then we're not really growing we're just staying the same so we want some awkward moments here okay so let's start with marriage and I by no means have husbandry down to a science but I do know what the Bible says And so what I want to look at is is this place in Matthew 19 where Jesus describes being a husband. And I have a really strong view of Scripture, and so I believe that if we can get this right from Jesus, it's going to go a long way to making an impact in our life. So here's what Jesus says. Haven't you read the Scriptures? They record that from the beginning God made them male and female and said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. And since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now Jesus calls out one tendency or characteristic from a husband here. And that is a husband pursues oneness with his wife. Oneness. Jesus tells husbands everywhere, including me, Get the oneness thing right. And I can testify to this personally that marriage goes through seasons of closeness. Felt closeness and then times where you don't feel as close to your spouse. And for me, it seems to me that a lot of that felt closeness has to do with how hard I am working at the oneness factor. Now, the idea of oneness is is a little bit fuzzy. So, as we explore, let's think about two-ness. Let's think about separation. I'm going to do this without your input. That's two-ness, right? One, two, and they're not one. I know what you want, I'm going to do the opposite, or I'm going to do my own thing anyway. 
That's two-ness. That's separation. I'm going to tear down your essence and say things that insult your personhood. That's separation. I'm going to engage in deeper levels with other women. That's separation. I'm going to side with the kids and turn them against you. That's separation. That's not oneness. Jesus says that if we are married, we leave our father and mother and pursue oneness with our spouse. And so when we choose our parents over our spouse, that creates separation instead of oneness. Now, I'm an only child. And everyone, given enough time with me, knows that I can be selfish and disinterested. Why are you smiling, Leanne? <laughs> Leanne's not my wife, just close friend. Live in a bubble, you know, whatever. I can do that with the best of them. But in as much as I'm a slow learner, and I'm a slow learner, I can tell you that every effort I make to pursue oneness with Kelly and the way I treat her pays off in my marriage. And when I get that wrong, that has a big impact the wrong way. I think 2,000 years ago, Jesus gives every husband a very powerful characteristic to shoot for. Oneness. Now, there's a book out called Every Man's Marriage. And I strongly recommend that every husband read it. It's not a good book. It's not. It's like Christianese and cheesy, and at least 50% of it is awful. But I don't know of any other book that fleshes out the oneness factor like it does. And so the the portion of it that is worth it is so worth it that it's worth reading the whole thing because it fleshes out this is what oneness looks like and this is how you as a husband should pursue oneness with your spouse. And I think it's worth the read because this is such a powerful principle in marriage. And if we're a follower of Jesus and we're married and we're a husband, we have to do it because Jesus says, do it. Let's do the same thing for wives. If you're a wife, you're part of a family and the Bible gives you some things that will set you apart from the typical spouse. And I'm going to focus on one sentence from Scripture. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.33 The wife must respect her husband. The husband must pursue oneness. The wife must respect her husband. Now, I believe biblically that a marriage can become great if just the husband will pursue oneness all out and the wife will pursue respect all out. That will build a healthy marriage. I believe that in my entirety. There's an incredible book called Love and Respect. And every couple 
should read Love and Respect. Phenomenal book built for the woman's side around Ephesians 5.33. Fleshes out what respect looks like. And Ephesians 5 knows that that's not always easy because we're morons. So Paul does this preemptive strike 2,000 years ago. He looks at all the wives out there and he says, you must respect your husband. I know it ain't always easy. So he says, as unto Christ. In other words, when all else fails, pretend your husband is Jesus. Respect him as you would respect Jesus As you treat your husband, so you treat Jesus. Show respect to him as as, as unto Christ. Now we could do the same exercise as we did before, trying to find out what respect looks like. What does disrespect look like? When you say things to belittle your husband or talk down to him, that's disrespect. When you say things to discourage him, that's disrespect. When you insult him in front of others, that's disrespect. But when you say things to build him up, that's very respectful. Complimenting a man goes a long way. When you show interest in the things that he's interested in, that's respect. When you talk him up in the presence of others, that's respect. When you submit to his plans, that's respect. And he may never admit it, but your husband needs to believe that you think he's great. Even if you don't. Even when you don't. Your husband needs to believe that you think he's great. There was a study done not too long ago trying to find the consistency between great marriages. And I'm not talking about long marriages. I'm talking about marriages that last a long time and the people actually like each other. What are the consistencies that make that kind of marriage? And it really came down to one factor. One consistency. There were different age gaps, different cultures, different ethnic backgrounds, different racial backgrounds. Some couples screamed at each other. Some couples were peaceful and passive. <clears throat> the one consistency, when, when the, the spouse would fill out, uh, rate their quality or character of themselves, like I'm, you know, servanthood's a seven, whatever, the spouse would rate them higher than they rated themselves. That was the one consistency. When you went out of your way to make sure your spouse knows that you think they're great, even more so than what they would think of themselves, that was the difference in what made a great marriage. In other words, respect and encouragement are often, if not only, the difference makers in a strong marriage. So ask yourself, and this could be one of those awkward 
Am I the single greatest source of respect and encouragement in my husband's life? Am I the single greatest source of respect and encouragement in my husband's life? Think about Ephesians 5. Do you want to be a little obedient to God's word or do you want to be all the way? So the husband's asking, am I going all out to pursue oneness? And the wife is asking, am I the single greatest source of respect and encouragement in my husband's life? You could say that's the biblical definition of marriage. Let's make a move now and talk about parenting. Not very good at it. And I'm going to start out with something I'm really not good at. Talk real quick to those of you with grown children. I don't have grown kids. I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. But what I do have is scripture. And enough conversations with enough married people to know that when Matthew 19, leave the father and mother and become one with the spouse. When... An empty nester family will not embrace that. It can wreak havoc in a marriage. When a set of parents fail to let their grown kids establish a family of their own with their own identity and continue to try to pull back to life growing up, it can wreak havoc. Just watch Everybody Loves Raymond. I mean, that's the tension in Everybody Loves Raymond is a mom that will not let Matthew 19 happen. <clears throat> and so the thing to ask yourself is, and I'm not talking about giving up the grandkids and never wanting, never expecting. I'm just talking about allowing Matthew 19 to happen and being a catalyst for it. And so ask yourself, am I doing anything to inhibit a healthy Matthew 19 marriage to develop in my grown kid's life. Now, for those of us blessed with children and trying to figure out how not only to not mess them up, because that's at least 50%, is how can I not mess my kids up, but also how can I help them to thrive? I want to be a questionable parent, a peculiar parent. People to say they do things differently and somehow it seems right. More than anything else, though, I want to raise my children in the ways that God expects me to. The single greatest entrustment I have are two young souls who are like soft clay by the things that I do and say around them, and I want them to follow Jesus. And that may be the single greatest entrustment in my life. I want to get an A-plus from God in parenting. So how do we do it? Two minutes. I'm going to talk about everything you need to know. I'm kidding. Uh, one, one concept here, because you know this is just a survey thing, one of the problems with this is we stand, we just say, yes, but how? And for many of you at Polaris, this God, Jesus, Bible thing is, is like brand new. 
What do I do? Yes, but how? There's a moment in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, Moses, the spokesman of God, is standing before a group of people. And, and these are God's people called out of Israel. They didn't have scripture. They didn't really have an identity. They're learning all this stuff for the very first time. And, and, and Moses tells them, these commandments that I'm giving you today, this way of life that I'm giving you today, it's to be upon your hearts and impress it upon your children. How? We don't know any of this stuff. We're hearing it for the first time. And he says, talk about it all day long. Just talk about it. And I think one of the best things we can do is just incorporate spiritual growth and Jesus development into our everyday conversation. You learn together with your kids. As you learn something about Jesus, talk about it. When you get home from church, talk about it. In the car, talk about it. At the dinner table, talk about it. Before bed, read a Bible story from a children's book. Talk about it. Just grow and learn together. You don't have to be an expert. And what you'll find is that they'll teach you. Because one of the greatest sources of learning for me and following Jesus is conversations I have with my kids and their perspective. And when they ask questions that you don't know the answer to, say, I don't know. What do you think? And then learn stuff together. One final concept here. There's a parenting concept taught all through Scripture and, and displayed all through Scripture, and it can be used beyond parenting to anybody that you have influence over. It's the concept of the blessing. All through Scripture, there are men and women who would use their words to call out the best in other people, and this is especially important in the lives of children because, honestly, I was very blessed. My parents both used their words to tell me that they thought that I was great and important and loved and here's what they thought I was good at and here's what they thought I could do someday. Sadly, I am in the vast minority. There are very few people, especially with the dad, who could say, my dad regularly affirmed me, I have a great relationship with him, and I know I'm important to him, I know I matter the blessing, there, there, there's nothing we desire more than verbal blessing from people, and yet it's really, really hard to do. But at any point in life, we can become good at this. So here's a moment uh, in Scripture, and this is poetic and eccentric, lots of cultural language. Don't get lost in the language. Just listen to the spirit of this blessing. Dad stands before his son, Judah. Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son, like a lion. He crouches and lies down like a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine. I'm going to say that to my boys this afternoon. Spencer, you will tether your donkey to a vine. His colt to the choicest branch. 
He will wash his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now, I know that a lot of that language, what? But it's language of strength. It's language of greatness. He's using examples and analogies to tell his children, you are great and powerful and strong and you are going to do great things. Greatness is within you. And that's how he's blessing his children. If you want to be peculiar, if you want to do something that not many people do, start to say things like that in the lives of people that you have influence over. You start to call out greatness. You line up perfectly with the lifestyle of Jesus and great things will happen. Now, been friends with, mentioned Leanne earlier, We've been friends with the Becks for a long, long time. And we've watched their daughter, Maddie, grow up. And and I would say about the Becks, they are peculiar parents. They don't do things like everybody else. They do anything they can to do the kinds of things that they believe Jesus would want them to do with their parenting. And one of those things is go all out in blessing their children. Now, Maddie is graduating this year. Can't believe it. And one of the things they wanted to do with Maddie is speak that blessing into the life of their daughter. Where did the time go? Thursday, August 14th, 1997. Sometime around 11 a.m., you, Madeline Emily Beck, made your entrance into this world. Being almost a week late, the doc decided it would be best if she helped you along. And so she did. And there you were. A beautiful, healthy baby girl. I was so proud. I remember bringing you home and walking you around room to room in our luxurious two-bedroom upstairs Cleveland apartment. It took all of 47 seconds to show you the whole place, and we were off and running. Ready or not, your mom and I were parents. Knowing all the good that God had done in our lives, we wanted the same for you. So that very Sunday, at four days old, you were in church. Watching you grow as a little girl was amazing. Sleeping through the night at eight weeks, getting bigger each day. By year and a half, you're using sign language to tell us, hungry, more please, all done, and thank you. At age three, you were reading and singing, and looking back, maybe this is where God put his song in your heart. In addition to reading to you at night, mom would sing to you as well. And Veggie Tales, 
you loved VeggieTales. We love them too, because we knew you were being shown the truth of God's love for you. The years sped by. Play groups and dance class were soon replaced by softball, flute lessons, and track meets, homeschool, and homework. I think it was around this time I began to see the young lady I see now start to emerge. Writing and journaling began to be a regular thing for you. Poems and short stories and drawing all the time. And I remember one evening when I was playing guitar, you came in the room and asked me, Dad, can you show me how to play guitar? I said, sure. I showed you how to play a G chord and said, when you get that down, come and see me for the next one. Well, that was it. Thanks to YouTube, I never saw you for the second lesson. Your love of music was now in high gear. The Beatles were your favorite. You even were in the 8th grade talent show with your friend and did a self-composed medley of Beatles songs. You girls rocked. Shortly after that, you made your debut as a worship singer in the Polaris Teen Band. You sounded awesome then, and have ever since. What your mom and I see in you now is a young lady who has all the possibilities in front of you. To me, words like talented, creative, caring, passionate, and compassionate come to mind. You always stand at the ready to help those who are in need. I want you to know that I am proud of you. Not only for what you've done, but more so for who you are. And so, Maddie, I freely, lovingly, and excitedly give to you my blessing as your dad. I have been and will be praying for you as you enter this next chapter of your story. I know God is going to use you to accomplish great things for him and his kingdom. Listen for him. Walk closely with him and know that he loves you more than me and your mom ever could. And finally, Maddie, know that God put the love of music and his song in your heart. Keep singing for as long as he gives you the ability to do so. We love to hear you and know that he does too. So unfortunately, that is a peculiar thing that the Becks have offered their daughter. That's, that's an uncommon thing. Far too many people walking around not having that experience from their family, from their parents. Um, never too late to do that for your kids. No matter how old they are, for your grandchildren. I, I want to challenge you with this series as we continue on. Um, be bold enough to be peculiar, to be different, to do things unlike other people. So in this case, um, though your uh, friends may razz you, uh, you're pursuing oneness with your wife over golf buddies. 
when you're with your girlfriends and they're tearing down husbands, you're affirming yours. You're championing Matthew 19 oneness in the life of your grown children. You're owning that to the best of your ability. As a parent, you're going all out to bless your children, and even though you may not know a thing, you're learning and talking about Jesus with them throughout the day. We're peculiar, we're different. We're not like everybody else. Will you stand? And as we sing this last song, I just want to invite you to turn to Jesus and say, you know what? No matter the cost, I'm going to give you my life. And even though it could be awkward at times, I'm all in. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us to something different, something better than everybody else to a higher lifestyle than just one that selfishly pursues our own consumer stuff or that just sort of wanders around aimlessly, you lay out what a strong and healthy life looks like. In virtually every area imaginable, your word lays it out, and we seek that, and we seek that to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.